0: From the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas,
1: just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th and G, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters.
2: Welcome to 14th and G, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. I'm your host, C.R. Wooters. This podcast is a new project from Melman Castignetti, and I'm a principal here at the firm. It's our intention to bring you inside Washington through interviews with key members of the business community. For the first episode, we welcome Bruce Melman and David Castignetti. They will give us their bipartisan view as to what might be coming our way in the fall. And just to give you a little bit of context, we're recording this pod as Congress is heading home for the August recess. Also, and most importantly, these guys are my bosses. So... We need to be on our best behavior. Okay, let's rock and roll. Here's Bruce and David. Bruce Melman, David Castagnetti, welcome to Fourteenth and G. Uh, before we get to the important stuff, um, I wanted to know how the firm came together. How'd you guys get to know each other?
1: We had a uh, a lunch one day at Charlie Palmer's during during two thousand four during the Kerry campaign, which. Um, uh, we were hoping to have President Kerry and not President Bush. Well, we, we is a little strong. <laughs> <laughs> True. And um, it kind of, we had our first conversation at that point.
0: Uh, so, besides now being hungry, beyond the food tour, <laughs> uh, having left the Bush administration, having partnered up with a guy from the um, Hill on the Republican side, it was clear, and one thing that's been obvious is bipartisan firms succeed uh, consistently, and partisan firms feast or famine. And it became very clear that consistency was more desirable than feasting and famineing. And David was about the strongest experienced Democratic lobbyist I knew, uh, and having, uh, having done some stuff together. I think he was
1: together. the only experienced Democratic lobbyist you know, so. <laughs>
0: that's, uh, that's beside the point. <laughs> All right, let's dive into it. As the Hill heads into August recess, what's top of mind for your client? Writ large, hope and fear. Uh, since the election, there has been a lot of hope. Uh, frankly, in some ways bipartisan, though probably more on the Republican side than the Democratic side, but long ignored things such as tax reform, which we haven't really done tax since 1986, uh, big infrastructure spending, which we really haven't reimagined in decades. Um, There was—Donald Trump campaigned on so many things. Recall we were going to be tired of winning by now, but there were so many things um, that folks were hopeful uh, might be revisited by Congress, and when you had a White House aligned with majorities in the House and the Senate, you saw in 2009, um, they get a lot a lot of things can get done, and so there was that hope. Uh, some of that hope persists: tax, infrastructure. But concurrently, there's long been fear—fear fear about policy issues such as trade, um, for Democrats on climate and a whole host of other issues. There has been fear, and and the fact that. Every morning, we all wake up and look at our Twitter feed to say, what the hell possibly happened during those six hours I just had to sleep? You know, who's up, who's down, who's in, who's out? Um, increasingly, that unpredictability has folks worried about where policy and where markets may go. Yeah,
1: I, I think on the, the hope and fear, <clears throat> Bruce highlighted the, the fear that Democrats have in the in the climate space, and that has been exacerbated by the president moving out of uh, the, Paris, uh, the, the Paris climate agreement, which... I believe we're one of three countries now, one that says it's not strong enough, Nicaragua and Syria. So, you know, that's kind of some interesting company that we're keeping. But the other fair part also is in healthcare. You've seen a ton of uh, action by the Republican Party on health care. Uh, it has not led to anything. And the question on the other issues that Bruce laid out is, where does the that fight continue? Do we start to get some bipartisan deals, or do we continue to fight partisan fights moving forward? And, you know, that's a question that the president and the speaker and the majority leader McConnell are going to have to address, I believe, uh, moving forward.
0: Bruce, where do you think the president and the GOP goes next? Probably three areas. Uh, the, The greatest hope is tax reform. Uh, That's the thought of the the big opportunity for a uh, base-rallying Republican win. Uh, Concurrently, we're already seeing in the headlines today, we've been hearing for months, and and I anticipate August uh, will include a lot of more aggressive actions in the space of trade, which isn't a congressional thing, which makes sense. They're out for the month of August anyway. Uh, But you're seeing now action against China on intellectual property, a so-called 301 case. Uh, You're going to continue as the Commerce Department, the U.S. Trade Representative Office, fills out with personnel, I think you're going to see growing action to fulfill the promises and philosophy of President Trump on trade. And then the last area is just people. Um, new administrations, particularly those peopled by or led by those who aren't a deep in government experience, take a little bit longer to come up with nominees and people to run departments and agencies. As has been widely reported, the current the Trump administration has been slower than any of the more recent ones in making nominations. And then that's been married with uh, greater difficulty due to due to uh, mostly due to Democrats, but greater difficulty getting those fewer nominees confirmed timely. Republicans, upon September returning, are going to be keen on getting as many of these newly named bodies moving forward as possible. So I think that will that will define the fall.
2: And uh, David, the question, same question to you. You know, Democrats have basically been opposed to almost everything from the president at this point in time. So. You know, what's their next? Right?
1: I think they're looking at, I think, two things right now, right? The the big picture item is what uh, Senator Schumer and, and Mrs. Pelosi announced a couple weeks ago in terms of what they're cal- calling a better deal, uh, which basically is to help workers uh, raise their pay, lower the cost of living, and to train them for what the 21st century looks like, right? So that's kind of their thematic message. I think what you've seen uh, in terms of legislation, and you've seen a lot of action uh, out of the Senate the last couple of days, right? Senators Alexander and Murray have announced bipartisan hearings on health care moving forward. Senator Schumer, along with uh, f- uh, 45 uh, Senate Democrats, announced their plan for working with uh, Republicans in terms of taxes and the need to kind of uh, create a bipartisan relationship in the tax space in order to get some permanency. To to tax done and not just kind of this partisan wavering that's taken place. So I think the Democrats will look to fight the president when it's necessary to fight the president, and they're going to try to work with the Republicans, certainly the Republicans in Congress, in order to get a better health care bill and a better tax bill moving forward. With
0: all due respect, oh, vomit. That's just not right. Mm -hmm. The Democrats looking to work with the president when he fully yeah. surrenders and agrees with them. I didn't
1: say with the president, I said with the Republican uh, leadership, Mr. McConnell and Mr. Ryan. That's that's who they're looking, I believe, to work with at this point. And you'll see some some trade enforcement issues. I think you will see people agree. We've already seen that with Sherrod Brown and the president
0: already. Although I think, David, as you know, we, we agree to disagree on this one. I believe for Democrats, particularly given how radicalized the base has become in anti-Trump, um, They would rather have nothing accomplished and Trump to blame, in my opinion, than bipartisan compromises that the president can declare as victories going into the midterms. You have the so-called resistance looking to criticize everything Donald Trump does, and maybe trade enforcement will be an interesting case. My money says... The Democrats say, directionally fine, but too little, too late, and we don't think he's going to actually follow through. That's what they're going to say as opposed to we applaud the president for doing the right thing.
2: Sounds a little bit like uh, uh, Republicans under the Obama administration to me. I'm
0: not familiar with what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd
2: like to just move on a little bit to there's must-dos next year. Um, There's a bunch of must-do deadlines coming up pretty quick. Um, Bruce, do you want to? Give us a you know a, a brief outline of what they might be.
0: The biggest thing in September, of course, is uh, the government funding runs out at the end of the month, and we'll have for the umpteenth time this showdown about whether the government's going to shut down or whether it's not going to shut down. And if it shuts down, what are essential uh, employee who are essential employees and what do they pay for? Um, it's difficult often to find agreement over budget because Republicans want to spend a lot less except in defense, where they want to spend a lot more, and Democrats uh, refuse to spend more on defense unless there is more spent in domestic programs. And as a result, uh, we have these, these showdown budget politics. You can add to it now there is this misperception by many Republicans that because we have a majority in the House and a majority in the Senate and, and the White House, we ought to get our way, in the reality, at least under current practice, is you need 60 votes in the Senate to move a budget. And you're not going to get 60 votes unless, just by math, you have to pick up eight Democrats at a minimum without losing any Republicans. There's leverage for the Democrats to expect some things. But sadly, that shutdown, no shutdown of government is the smaller fry as compared to the extending the debt ceiling. The United States has never defaulted on our debt. And there is a great unknown about should... Um, the Congress refused to increase the debt ceiling. Where does that go, and what does that mean? And when President Obama was president, there was one thing some commentators talked about was the trillion-dollar coin. If you go to this White House and you say we need a trillion-dollar coin, whose face should we put on it? You know, <laughs> Donald Trump. My <laughs> of money says say not not Harry Tubman. <laughs> <laughs> she already got the twenty. <laughs>
2: so, uh, you know, as we talk debt limit and we talk. Um, other must-dos. I assume, David, you're going to have to involve some Democrats here.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think the, the two issues, debt limit and uh, the funding of government, are definitely going to take Democrats to pass. And the the, the question is, can the President, one, work with Democrats, which he hasn't shown the ability to do, uh, and conversely, can the Speaker and the Majority Leader work with Democrats? So what do the Democrats potentially ask for in return? Is this their chance to get some kind of bipartisan deal on tax reform or some bipartisan deal on health care? It might not might not be specifically related to debt limit or um, uh, health care or taxes, but it, it, it could be related into into other areas.
2: So um, it feels, uh, Bruce, I'll, I'll go to you on this one. It feels like the administration in the Hill, and we've mentioned this already, wants to get to tax reform as fast as humanly possible. It feels like it's the type of thing that unites Republicans and kind of uh, moves on. Where do you see taxes and kind of what should we keep uh, an eye out for as we get going on the tax reform?
0: Well, you're right. When you go to Republican school, day one is cutting taxes is good. Um, Sometimes, you stick around for the class about how you pay for tax cuts, though that's that's an optional class, whereas uh, cutting taxes is the mandatory 101 class. Republicans are unified in believing we need to cut taxes. Uh, The Republican base, particularly small businesses and small business owners and larger uh, multinationals all agree that we have an uncompetitive tax system. And frankly, many Democrats would agree with that opening statement. The devil's in the detail of how you pay for it, whether you just allow the debt debt to grow and deficits to be large, or whether you offset tax cuts with tax increases elsewhere. We've already seen efforts to put comprehensive, uh, permanent tax reform plans that pay for themselves, uh, draw lots of opposition. Everybody likes the cuts, nobody likes to pay for us. It's unclear whether or not they're going to be able, both through process and politics, to muster enough votes for a specific plan that pays for itself. Smart money, by which I mean David um, and a lot of others, would say they're going to find the votes for cuts, not the votes to pay for it. Go back to George W. Bush 2001-2003, the last 10 years
1: couple of things that the Democrats would insert on this. The first thing they would say is not to increase the tax burden on the middle class. I mean, I think that's a, it's a big starting point for the Democrats. Also, for them, a little bit is a process question. Let's do this through regular order, right? The Republicans just failed on trying to pass a health bill by not doing it through regular order. So the Democrats would say, hey, let's do this through the Finance Committee and through the Ways and Means Committee and see what kind of bill that we came up with uh and then finally i think the other piece that uh there's probably a, a little bit of change in party structure here right now, but a little bit also is the deficit. How much do we want to increase the deficit in a tax reform situation? Or can we keep it this much more revenue neutral and keep the tax base uh, where it is now? I, I think there's a there's a lot of discussion here that's gonna take place. Everybody thinks this is gonna happen tomorrow, right? It's, it's at the beginning. If we take the beginning of the Trump administration, everyone told us the new health care bill would be on the president's desk January 21, 2017. And guess what? It's still not on his desk. And tax cuts are not easy to do. Tax reform is not easy to do. Uh, It takes a lot longer than than people think.
2: Speaking of not easy to do, David, I want to stay with you on this one. Um, the president announced that he wants to renegotiate NAFTA. He has started that process. Where does that process sit, and kind of what's the next thing we should be looking at on
1: yeah. that? I, I mean, I think a, a, a couple of things. Um, process itself, uh, the, pre, the, the, the the renegotiation obviously has begun. I meant back to the hope and fear of oh renegotiating NAFTA, there's obviously some hope in rene- renegotiating NAFTA because there's going to be some issues put into a new NAFTA agreement kind of coming out of the TPP in terms of the, especially those within the tech community in terms of digital cross-border flows, that kind of thing. So there, there, there's some opportunity there. Um, There's obviously some nervousness uh, as well and the ability to kind of move people across the border as as easily as, as we can now, or to reach some kind of new content numbers. Those are all kind of questions that that have to be met. I think, th- though, the, the the other big piece in any trade agreement is not just about what happens with NAFTA, but a little bit what we were talking about before is what's the trade enforcement component, right? I think trade enforcement becomes a much bigger uh, issue moving forward, because both parties, I think, have to show the American people that these agreements are working and they're helping to create jobs inside the United States. And what are we doing to retaliate against those countries that are taking our jobs away?
2: So we've touched on a whole bunch of kind of top of mind issues. And I'll, I'll go to both of you on this one. We'll start with Bruce. But what are you keeping an eye on that may not be top of mind for everybody else? Um, you know, for September or longer, uh, when Congress gets back?
0: Congress, for sure, even investors, tend to be really good at fighting the last war. And I think everybody has this perception that certainly follows from the Great Recession, that we have this great jobs crisis. We need to create more jobs. Recall the current unemployment rates, 4.4. By all obvious trends, uh, the challenge for the economy going forward may not be just generating more jobs of all stripes, but rather productivity. Productivity growth in the U.S. economy has been anemic, and, and uh, economists are puzzled why. There are lots of theories, but if you want to have a, uh, an American economy succeed in a world where ours are among the most expensive workers to pay and ours is the most expensive lifestyle, and we needed an economy growing fast enough to generate tax revenues uh, to pay for healthcare and all of the other things we want to have, and if we want wages to increase, the only possible way to get there is increases in productivity growth. Policies make a big difference, taxes for sure, but also as you and I know from our work with the Tech CEO Council, CR, a lot of it's things like workforce training, things like use of artificial intelligence, Things like accelerating and integrating the Internet of Things, that's the next decade for people who are looking forward and not backward.
1: I think there there are a couple of other things to think about here, right? Will we pass a funding bill in terms of getting some bipartisan accomplishments? The reauthorization of the Food and Drug Administration, that's going to be another big bipartisan uh, achievement, um, the chip the, the the ability to cover children on health care, another big bipartisan achievement, I think you know does that set a potential tone for a different congress moving forward that 's one thing I would think about the other thing that that i 'm paying attention to a lot, and this isn 't uh, so much a legislative thing as a as a political issue is the Democrats, especially the House Democrats, are doing an amazing job recruiting candidates out in the country and the question is in a sweep election, which uh, some of us have been part of in the past that are the Democrats positioned in enough to take to take control of the house It's probably a little more difficult in the Senate, much more hope and optimism about taking control of the House and having the right people in place that fit the profile of the House, including uh, the other day, where Ch- uh, Chairman Lujan, the head of the Democratic Campaign Committee, said that if a, if a Democrat is uh, uh, more pro-life, they're welcome within the Democratic Party and welcome to run as a House candidate and the party uh, structure will fund you. That, that's a different positioning, I believe, uh, for Democrats. And again, finding that right profile and are they able to take control of the House and set up a, a real kind of fight against the president? instead of kind of a a one-hand-tied-behind-your-back fight that the speaker's using now.
2: So, uh, you know, uh, as we wrap up here, um, people in D.C. know that this is a town that you get coffee with people when you're trying to pick their brains or or look for advice. And so I ask everyone when they come on this pod, um, if you had to have coffee with someone tomorrow, who would it be? Let's go with you first,
0: Bruce. I'm going to give you my coffee list and my beer list. <laughs> my beer list. You know, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, we barely knew you. <laughs> I cannot remember, and maybe he's not gone, but I can't remember anybody else coming on the scene, generating more headlines and more crazy things. I, I don't want to debate whether he is uh, he is my vote for uh, Time's man of the year, but he seems like he'd be pretty interesting to grab a cup of beer with. And I've known Sean Spicer for 20-some years. Um, I don't think he would spill the information I would want over coffee, so alcohol would be required. Uh, for the for the coffee, for the interesting folks, um, frankly, Ivanka fascinates me. I haven't met her. I'd like to spend some time getting to know her a little. Uh, Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska is just a superstar, and I've read his books, and I've spent a little bit of uh, crowded time, but I'd love some one-on-one time because I think— uh, he's a very thoughtful man and he, he's he's a voice of the future.
1: First one I, I'd love to have uh, coffee with because he probably doesn't drink much beer but would be Bryce Harper, just to kind of talk to him about, okay, how'd you now do this talking. as a 16-year-old, as a and you kind of were focused so much, and you've now become one of the greatest baseball players of all times already, and you're barely 25 years old, and to me, that would be fascinating. The person who I, I, I would love to have dinner with and really pick his brain is David Rubenstein. I just think he is one of the most fascinating people. You buying? Uh, happy to buy if he wants to have dinner with me. I think just watching his one-on interviews on Bloomberg that he does they're just fascinating because they're so conversational there's no gotcha and it feels like he brings out the best in people uh, instead of the worst and to me I, you know I, I just think that's the right way to approach things and look for kind of common-sense solutions
2: so I would just point out that both of you guys picked beer and dinner over coffee and the question was coffee <laughs> but you know you get full credit anyway David Castagnetti Bruce Melman uh, thanks for joining us at 14th and G Next Thank for I want to thank my colleagues at Melman Castagnetti for helping me pull off this podcast. Over the coming weeks, we're going to have some great interviews. You can always email me at Wooters at mc-dc.com and find me on Twitter at C.R. Wooters. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time at the intersection of business and policy right here at 14th and June.